Lord God, today we come as one body, as the people that you have made us through Jesus our Savior, by the Holy Spirit that runs through our veins and through our lives, as newborn members of your household, we are then brothers and sisters, Lord, the very body of Christ, the Savior for the world. And so, Lord, we ask together that you would join with us in our worship time, that you would infuse what we do with your spirit, that you would invite us to expect the unexpected. We ask, Lord, that as we gather together as one body, that you would work through the greater church, the church universal, which exists in and through denominations and organized religion of all different types and, and sizes. We ask, Lord, in particular for the United Methodist Church to experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit so that we might do what is right in your sight as a denomination. But whatever happens, Lord, we pray that Shiloh will be your people called to obedience by your word and that we will be faithful to you no matter what happens we will be vital to this community as christian servants of jesus christ lord we pray together in that spirit then for each other we ask lord that each one here might experience your holy spirit in particular if their bodies are in need of healing, their hearts, their minds, and their families, and their, and their lives, whatever the Spirit moving in and through them can do to make them better, as you see fitness, then we ask it, Lord, for your name's sake, so that you'll be glorified through the way we live our lives, so that people will see you more than us. Oh God, we pray together for all manner of things. We ask, Lord, for your mercy upon our nation, upon our world, and we ask for your influence. We ask that love, peace, decency, that all these things could be more common than they are. We ask, Father, that whatever happens again, each of us might hold fast to your teaching and be your servants. Father, we come together today as one body seeking you through the word that we will hear, and we ask, Father, that this word might speak plainly to us and invite us into a deeper relationship with your heart and mind by engaging our hearts and minds. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus, who gives us words that are far more appropriate and whose words we gladly share together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we'll begin with reading of Scripture, so if you would like to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, in your Bible, 
Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses uh, 21 to 28. That's on page 995 in your pew Bible. It actually starts on 994. So if you're looking in the pew Bible, we're going to start over on the bottom right side and of the left page and then move across. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So their regular worship service was different one day because Jesus showed up. What do you experience or expect to experience when you come to church on Sunday? I mean, seriously, what do you expect to experience when you come to church on Sunday? You get up on Sunday morning, you, you know that you have to be here at a certain time, uh, you, you have certain expectations. Most of us expect to be greeted by familiar people, right? Most of us expect the climate to be comfortable, warm in the winter and cool in the summer, and we expect to a jovial and cheerful pastor and greeters, right? We, we expect uh, a bulletin, right? We expect to be handed a piece of paper that tells us everything that's about to happen so we can kind of keep track, you know, and check it off. And uh, we, we expect to get announcements and, you know, some of them we care more about than others, but we read it all. And, and uh, we know there's going to be a sermon message from the Bible and and we know there's bound to be at least one or two lousy jokes in the middle of it, right? We, we come to expect certain things. Some will leave as soon as it's over, and some will stay around for friendship and learning for Sunday school. And uh, some, you know, will, will even stick around for a second service because they're just that dedicated. Or they just like both so much that they can't choose which one. Those are the normal things that happen every Sunday. And when you leave, whenever you leave, you go away expecting that when you come back next week, you'll probably experience the same thing. Isn't that true? And then, of course, we throw a wrench in the works periodically and say, oh, today's a combined worship service. You know, we're going to do something different. And for some people, that is so upsetting and not, not in a negative way, but it's just too radically different from the routine so they just say well I'll just skip that one and come back when it's back to normal again and and so we really do like predictability don't we 
We really like for things to be the same every week. And you know what? So did the people who were going to the synagogues in that day that this particular story took place. A synagogue is found in the town of Capernaum. In fact, those who are going to the Holy Land will be able to visit the very site which the story took place on because the synagogue is still there, at least the second version of it. There's a second ruin that is on top of the original ruin, which is the one that would have been the place where this story took place. But it's still there. The town of Capernaum isn't, but that is to say that it's not a living town anymore. It's an archaeological site. But in those days, people, maybe about 1,500 or so, lived in Capernaum. And Capernaum was a fishing village. And uh, it was also at a crossroads. It was a, at, a, at a kind of, I always call it a toll booth, because it was a place where you switched different roads going in three different directions, and you uh, had to pay toll because the two regions that butted up against each other at that borderline around Capernaum uh, were operated by two different sons of Herod, the one that killed all the babies in Bethlehem and tried to get Jesus. And uh, they each wanted their particular tax from people who were carrying commerce back and forth. So Capernaum was a place where tax collectors were routinely found and where Roman centurions kept a guard because they wanted to make sure the taxes were collected without incident. So this is kind of a high view picture of Capernaum. And going back to the idea of a synagogue, synagogues became a common thing around the time of the prophet Daniel because the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and so the people never had a home base for worship anymore after that. And so in the diaspora, that is when they were dispersed, the people had to figure out how to keep the tradition going. And so they would look to elders in the community who knew the law really well and knew how to interpret the law and, and teach the faith. And so those people became known as teachers or rabbis, and the rabbis were people that, that didn't like go to rabbinical school per se or seminary. They, they were just people that everyone acknowledged, understood the traditions and remembered the things of the faith better than anyone else. And so they were sort of elevated to this teaching position. And the word synagogue literally means gathering. And so literally they gathered together in a common place on the Sabbath day to listen to a teacher. Sound familiar? And this is basically what was going on the day that Jesus showed up. It was common in those days for any visiting, traveling teachers, anyone with a reputation for being particularly knowledgeable about the word and the law and that sort of thing, it was common to invite them to read the, message, or read the, the passage from Scripture and then and give a commentary on it. The interesting thing is, is when they gave the commentary, they usually always quoted somebody else's opinion. And so even to this day, if you visit a synagogue, and you can visit certain synagogues, you're not excluded from all synagogues. There are some that are more liberal than others, and they welcome outsiders in the same way we do here. And uh, if you visit a synagogue, more than likely, 
the rabbi will get up and read a passage from the Old Testament, one of the first five books, and then almost certainly will say to you, now, Rabbi so-and-so says in the Mishnah, or the Talmud, this about that, okay? That's the tradition. Now, if you're wondering where I'm going with this, it's to deal with the first thing we heard about Jesus in the passage we just read. The people were astonished because he preached in his own authority. He didn't say, now this passage, you see, was interpreted by Rabbi so-and-so to mean this, and it was interpreted by Rabbi so-and-so to mean that. He said, this is what the word means. This is the Bible passage and this is what it means to say to you. He spoke as though he wrote it. I would argue that he did, actually. After all, if Scripture is Spirit-inspired, and he is with God for all of that time before time, and all of existence is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then it stands to reason the man who was in front of them interpreting the word of God was the author of the word of God. And so they picked up on that. They couldn't help but notice this man was preaching with that kind of authority and they weren't accustomed to that. They weren't used to hearing someone say, it's really going to be a little bit like that after the service today when I stand before you and I say, here's what's going down in St. Louis in a couple of weeks. And I try to tell you the facts without actually saying what I think about any of it. Now, I'll be glad to tell you what I think, but I'm just trying to tell you that the first thing that a wise person always does whenever dealing with anything controversial is try to establish what is commonly understood rather than immediately voicing an opinion and turning off half the audience, right? So that's why these rabbis did this. They were trying to win the popularity contest. They were trying to win the minds and the hearts of the people so that when they interpreted scripture, if you got an interpretation you didn't particularly care for, they could always say, well, I didn't say it, Rabbi so-and-so said it. See what I mean? It's a lot more dangerous to take something that affects people's opinions about how to live their lives, especially moral things, and to say with your own authority, this is what I believe, this is what it is. That's courageous and scary. Jesus wasn't even scared, though. Why should he be? He was the author. So they heard this incredible authority, and if there was any doubt at all about his authority, it was settled by the man who was demon-possessed, wouldn't you agree? If there was any question about whether he spoke with the authority as the Holy One of God, well, none other than Satan himself witnesses through this demon-possessed man, he's the Holy One of God, right? That becomes very clear. So... When Jesus comes to church, things happen. I'm going to kind of read from my script or my text a little bit because I like what I wrote and I don't want to ad-lib my way around some of the good stuff. When Jesus shows up at your worship service, things will definitely get interesting. He enters the room with a handful of followers who know him well. 
He is not an exhibitionist who wears showy clothing or travels with a loud entourage. Jesus enters in clean, well-maintained garments, a neat haircut and a trimmed beard. He is courteous and gentle and purposeful. Nonetheless, his presence is hard to miss since he and his companions are not regular attenders. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been a new, a new attender? I know we have some, some relatively new people in the sanctuary today. Isn't it a little unnerving when you walk into a place where everybody knows everybody and they're all looking at you because they don't know you? This is why, my friends, we should be very gracious and loving and kind to those people who are courageous enough to come to a place where they're not known. Because they should be admired for the courage it took to follow the Spirit's leadership, to come here, to hear the voice of God. And we need to honor that by cre creating a loving and welcoming environment for them. I digress. And he is something of a celebrity in certain circles. Jesus, the man, the myth, the legend. And when he shows up in worship, some are indifferent to him. They don't see anything that isn't important to them. Sometimes they can't even see what's right in front of their noses. Many of the worshipers know of him by reputation, but few really know him personally. They are disappointed by his appearance. He isn't at all what they think he should be. And what's more, when he is invited to read the scripture and to comment, he says amazing things with such poise and confidence that he must be either the real thing or some kind of charlatan. Is he speaking a word from God, or is he a smooth operator who will eventually take advantage of them? That's what they want to know. Finally, Jesus' celebrity status brings out all sorts of people that aren't usually welcome. He attracts the weak, the sick, the poor, and the mentally ill. He draws people who make the comfortable regular attenders nervous and upset. His presence in worship is disruptive and it leads to drama. A crazy man throws a fit in the middle of an otherwise peaceful and predictable event. Then the crazy man may say something that cries out from the very depths of hell. Jesus, we know who you are. You're not welcome here. You're the son of God. Don't you know we don't want you here? That's what happened that day. And I'm saying in my own voice, with my own opinion, and nobody's commentary, that that is something that I see happening in churches all the time and have for the last 25 years. Sometimes, the last thing anybody in a church wants is for Jesus to show up. It messes up everything. It throws out the routine. It makes us uncomfortable. It creates, it creates dis-ease. It's so much nicer when things are calm and predictable. But if we really want Jesus to show up, we have to be willing to take what comes with him. And honestly, it's hard to tell what that's going to be on any given Sunday. But we can always count on one thing to be true. When people are radically devoted to their comfort, they will react negatively when something creates discomfort. And so as Christians, we're always confronted with the challenge, aren't we? 
To what extent are we willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of obedience to our Lord Jesus? So when most of us talk about church, what we're really talking about is a small C church, right? In, in the language of, of our church tradition, the small C represents this building and, and its ministries and its presence in the community. It's a church. I'm going to church on Sunday. But what Jesus invites us to be a part of is capital C church. Uppercase C church. He invites us to be the body of Christ. I've said this several times over the last weeks because it's really sinking into me in a new way. And that is, is that we really are Christ on earth. That that's what we're supposed to be. That, that he expects us to be the Jesus that others see. When they want to know Jesus, our whole process here is uh, lately has been to try to get to know Jesus. I'm trying to teach you about Jesus and make him come more to life every day in your life. And the thing is, is that others who don't even hear what you get to hear on Sunday morning, they're looking at you and that's the only Jesus they're ever going to see. So do they see Jesus when they see you? Because that's what it means to be a born again, spirit filled believer is to be Jesus, at least the best version that you can produce with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're invited to be the capital C church and be the capital B body of Jesus. So when we're open to that, when we're willing to experience Jesus' presence in our midst, things are different. Everything is different. Everything changes because now we're willing to experience the unexpected, the thing that might make us uncomfortable. We're willing to risk it. Now we're willing to make mistakes that are only mistakes because they're not normal, <laughs> because they're more like Jesus. I want to challenge you this week and in the coming weeks that whenever you come to church on Sunday and even wherever you go throughout the week, I want you to see where you recognize Jesus. I want you to see if you can recognize Jesus' presence in the church. Remember I said he showed up that day not with a loud entourage, not making a lot of noise and drawing a lot of attention to himself. He, he probably got attention simply because he wasn't expected that day. But he didn't do anything that was so obnoxious that you couldn't help but notice him. He simply showed up. So when Jesus shows up here at Shiloh or shows up in your home or shows up in your workplace or when you're out in the community, what will that look like? Here's what I think. I see and hear Jesus when someone is compassionate. I see and I hear Jesus when someone acts like a servant. I see Jesus when someone is loving, and kind, and merciful. I see and hear Jesus when someone is forgiving. I see and hear Jesus when someone is committed to God's objectives, whatever the cost. I see and hear Jesus when someone is prayerful. I see and hear Jesus when someone is gentle and kind. I see and hear Jesus when someone is patient. 
I see and hear Jesus when someone is self-controlled. I see and hear Jesus when someone is humble. If Jesus is here, these will be the things that you recognize him by. When Jesus is in the house, you'll know because those will be the things that make him visible. So when the capital C church is fully functional and the entire institution is dedicated to being the body of Christ, then you will see an entire community of people exhibiting those characteristics. The whole institution will be compassionate, merciful and forgiving, full of grace. Our whole institution, known as Shiloh United Methodist Church, will be prayerful and gentle and kind and patient and self-controlled and humble. And this is what I was talking about when I said, let us focus on being known in the community for these qualities and not the bad press that's liable to come over the next few weeks. When they look to Shiloh, let them see Jesus. Let them see Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I pray that it truly comes from your mind and heart to our hearts and minds. I ask, Lord, that you burn upon us those truths so that we might be changed forever. We invite you, Jesus, to be in this place. We invite whatever discomfort that causes. We welcome truth and love in the direction your spirit takes us. Oh, Lord, please make us instruments of your grace the very presence of your flesh in this community, especially in the days ahead, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.